Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. All of us have misconceptions that we learned in our childhood that sticks with us into adulthood long after they should have been corrected. In an episode of This American Life, I distinctly remember listening to one time on the subway in Toronto. We meet Alex Bloomberg, the CEO of a company who describes what leads up to what he calls the most embarrassing conversation of his adult life. The chain starts back when I was 11 or 12, and I first heard the term Nielsen family. I was probably listening to some adults talk, And from their conversations, I gathered that TV networks consulted Nielsen families to find out how popular a television show was. But that didn't make sense. Why would they only ask people named Nielsen which shows they liked? Fast forward 20 years. I was talking with a friend of mine who was telling me about her friend who had been selected to be a Nielsen family. And I said to her, isn't that weird that they're all named Nielsen? My friend looked at me for what seemed like a long time. Somewhere during her very long pause, because of the very long pause, in fact, I realized, of course, they're not all named Nielsen. That makes no sense at all. At the time of this conversation, I was 34 years old, and I couldn't believe I'd gotten this far without ever stopping to think it through. It made me wonder what else I'd missed and if this has ever happened to anyone besides me. And as the show continues, we find out that, in fact, it has happened to other people besides him. We meet Jody Mace, who saw deer crossing signs written X-I-N-G and assumed it was a deer zing. You know, because they zing across the road. There were multiple people who saw the word misled and thought it was pronounced misled, the past tense of a non-existent verb, misled, which means to deceive or to mislead. And my favorite, a guy who into his early 20s thought that quesadilla was Spanish for what's the deal. (laughs) And to make things fair, I'll need to share my own story as well which is that once I was in a car with some rabbinical school classmates on the way way to another classmate's wedding when someone brought up buying a space heater. And I said something along the lines of, well, it's pretty cool that we can buy the kind of heater that astronauts use in space. 
a very long pause, and then laughing, and then I laughed because immediately I realized how silly the idea was to begin with. It was something I had thought for a long time, I thought about it when I was a kid, and I had just never re-examined it. Now, all of these people in the show are pretty smart, and I think I do okay, but these kinds of moments have nothing to do with being smart or educated. They have to do with having an idea that you just don't revisit once forming it. Without reevaluation of our ideas, putting them back in touch with new information the world throws at us, it is easy for wrong-headed ideas like these to live long beyond their lifespan, although they do make for a good story. And these kinds of misconceptions, wrong ideas, or misunderstandings have been around, one imagines, for most of human history. When I was reading this week's Torah portion, Ahare Mot, from the book of Leviticus, to find ideas for my sermon, I was struck by a few passages that felt like they were deeply of their time, limited by our ancestors' understanding of the world, and out of sync with the universal values that we as modern Reformed Jews seek to uh, inspire. So here's one example, and we'll hear about this in more detail from Gabby tomorrow. But the Torah portion describes the ritual of the scapegoat, where on Yom Kippur, the high priest would place the sins of the people onto a goat and send it out into the wilderness to die, absolving the community of their misdeeds. So it is in the Torah, but we are allowed to ask the question, what? Why? So it's pretty clear to see the, the symbolic value of this. And we can speak to the wisdom of our ancestors in knowing the emotional power of ritual and its potential impact on community. But we also know that on the other hand, our ancestors were very serious about animal sacrifice. It was how they worshipped God. It was how everyone around them worshipped their gods. So I don't mean to be reductive or dismissive of our ancestors. They built for us a tradition with staying power, one that is really good at addressing our deepest psychological and emotional needs, at self-perpetuating from generation to generation, and demanding ethical behavior. But our ancestors also believed deeply and fully that the way God wanted them to make up for wrongdoing was to push a goat off a cliff. We know, or are pretty sure, that what God wants of us is to address our wrongs, to repair what damage we can, and to change our hearts to avoid repeating the same mistakes. No goats necessary. Another example we find in Ahare Mot, among a list of prohibitions of certain sexual relationships, we read a verse often cited as a cudgel by those suspiciously uninterested in any other verses of the Hebrew Bible. Bible. Do not lie with a male as one lies with a woman. It is an abomination. Of course, translation here is difficult. 
But we know this verse is often cited to discourage same-sex relationships, which we as modern Reformed Jews and humans know is beyond the pale. We know that any two adults can have a healthy, loving, and holy relationship regardless of sex or gender, and that it is not just our privilege but part of our obligation to celebrate the love of our LGBTQ plus brothers, sisters, and non-binary friends. And yet, our ancestors, at least on the surface, may have thought otherwise. Tomorrow morning at Torah study, we'll look at some of the ways that modern scholars have tried to prove that this verse doesn't mean what it seems to mean. And I even find some of them pretty convincing and nuanced. But it's also entirely possible that our ancestors were unable to conceive of a loving, equal relationship between two men. Maybe they were just limited in that way for all of their wisdom. And maybe this verse is just one voice in a collection of different ideas about what kind of love is okay. This week, we also read the story of David and Jonathan, where David describes his love with Jonathan as better than that of any woman. But we know that the verse from Leviticus is the one that gets trotted out when someone wants to justify their discomfort with non-heterosexual relationships by saying that God agrees with them. Of course, this must be wrong, because anything that denigrates the humanity of another cannot be something that God asks of us. Now, please don't hear me suggesting that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've devoted myself to a life of Torah, right? I live this book, every piece of it. And for a 2,500-year-old book written in the Middle East, the Torah has gotten, frankly, a surprising amount of traction over the years and around the world, to put it lightly. And I'll also say it hits a lot more than it misses. But there are a lot of challenging passages like these in our Torah, not just in Aharemot. And what I would like to suggest to us is that challenging passages like these offer us two very important gifts. The first, humility. Knowing that as we navigate our tradition and our world, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to get things wrong. God willing, if we do our job right, 2,000 years from now, our Jewish descendants will be complaining about how unenlightened we were. And the other gift, it gives us resolve, knowing that we have as much right and indeed the responsibility to seek on our terms how God wants us to act in the world, how to be the most humane human possible. This for us can be the antidote to one other difficult Jewish idea that our rabbis clung to, Yeridat Hadorot, the decline of the generations. According to Yeridat Hadorot, each generation removed from Sinai we go, we become less holy, less learned, less able to understand God's will for us. But I'll offer a counterpoint to this idea from Rabbi Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin, a 19th century Hasidic rabbi. He writes, 
Every soul in Israel has its own special force and holiness. And as is the number of generations that have already passed, so is the number of holy forces and words of Torah that have been revealed in the world. Therefore, in each and every generation, holiness becomes ever more revealed, even though the generations are in decline, as is well known. The reason is that which was revealed in the early generations has already been revealed, as is known by the way of the parable of the dwarf sitting on top of the giant. As we approach Shavuot, at the end of the period of the Omer, when we celebrate receiving God's commandments at Mount Sinai, I invite us to realize that in each generation, we receive the Torah again, in the words and ways that we are able to understand. Let us turn it over and over again as we seek to understand how to live out Torah in a way that our descendants will be proud of, knowing that we will make mistakes, learn from them, and even so, continue striving to be God's partners in building a world of peace. Shabbat Shalom.